This is the organic stream. Welcome. If you look at the history of civilization, there is a direct relationship between the decline of soil quality and the decline of those civilizations. All these things came from the earth. They need to go back to the earth. We're not just keeping this stuff out of the landfill and making it broader. And that's the attitude you have to take. Every single day, somebody knocks on your door and says, Can I have your way to do Hi there, and welcome to another episode of The Organic Stream. I'm your host, Aline Murphy, and today we have a very interesting show covering the topic of compostable plastics, the standards and rules in place regulating them, and what they mean for composting facilities. Plastics that can be composted at facilities are being used more and more to replace conventional plastics that pose a threat to our environment and contaminate the organic stream. One of the most popular compostable plastic items is the plastic bag, which we use in our kitchens to collect organic waste, making the process cleaner and more user-friendly. They also come in the form of rigid plastic items, such as cutlery and utensils, that can be thrown in along with food waste after use. With the growing popularity of alternative plastics, more and more composters are being asked to accept an increasing amount of plastics that can be composted at their sites. However, only some of these plastics can be easily composted at a facility without impacting the quality of the end product. We have developed various standards and testing protocols in order to ensure these products meet the requirements needed, but problems still remain. Today, we're going to talk about compostable plastics and what they are. We'll also explore the pressing issues that composters have when dealing with compostable plastics, both in Europe and North America. We'll discuss the various standards and testing protocols currently in place and whether they are in line with what composters are experiencing on the ground. And we'll also talk about the ways we can improve compostable plastic labelling in order to safeguard against contamination of other types of plastics. And with us to guide us through this hefty topic, we have two great guests. The first is Marco Ricci, current chair of the Working Group on the Biological Treatment of Waste at the International Solid Waste Association and member of the Italian Composting Association, CIC, or CIC. And then from San Francisco, California, we have Hilary Neer, who was recently involved in the development of a testing protocol for compostable plastics at commercial composting facilities for the city of San Jose, California. And before we start, I'd just like to mention the upcoming European Biogas Association Conference, which is taking place between September 30th and October 2nd in the Alkmaar regions of the Netherlands. The topics this year are quite interesting and will include European policy issues, biomethane production and utilisation, and include contributions on cross-border trade. For more information and to register, go to www.biogasconference.eu. And we'll get to the interview in the moment, but before that, I'd also like to thank Biolease for making this episode possible. Biolease is the compostable resin from maize grain, made by Lee McGrain, a farmer cooperative. And now, on to the interview.
So Marco and Hilary, thanks for joining me on the show today. Before we get into the more serious discussion, there's a lot of different types of plastics out there with all slightly different names and properties like bioplastics, biodegradable plastics, compostable plastics and so on. And it can get quite confusing. So let's help our audience understand the focus on compostable plastics here as opposed to biodegradable. Uh, Marco, maybe you can give us a definition and clarification on what compostable plastic is compared to other types? Well, a compostable plastic is a plastic which somehow is compatible with the composting process, uh, while a biodegradable plastic may degradate under microorganism effect, but it's not compostable. Normally, compostability has a, a set of requirements which is larger than the one of biodegradability. So this is the basic defini definition. That's why many experts in these fields and also a lot of NGOs started to talk about compostable plastics since about 10-12 years ago, so to avoid any misunderstanding. Right, so there's a larger set of requirements needed to be passed for a plastic to be deemed compostable. And Hilary, do you agree then with this definition? or? Yes, yeah, so usually I also explain it because I do a lot of communication around behavior change and with businesses who are making these choices. And I try and just simplify it and explain that compostable has a time frame and environment attached to the word, whereas bi biodegradable doesn't have any criterion really backed up. And so anything can be biodegradable, including your leather shoe. Yeah, correct, up. correct. Okay, so biodegradable can apply to anything that can biodegrade, no matter the conditions, but plastic can only be labelled compostable if they comply to a specific set of requirements. Um, so let's talk about these requirements then and the standards that are in place at the moment. Um, Marco, can you tell us what principal standards exist in Europe right now? Yes, well, the main standard is the EN 13432 standard of year 2000, and it's a standard for certifying compostable plastic. The standard requires four uh, requirements, which are biodegradation of plastic in a definite amount of time and to a specific amount of matter, disintegration, which means that we must have non-distinguishable fragments in a definite period of time, toxicity, so the absence of ecotoxicity in finished compost and safety requirements. So the, the material that we obtain, the compost obtained by using these plastics, which uh, are in line with the standard, must sustain plant growth. So it's basically the, those four requirements. Right. And this European standard is currently known as the most demanding. And we strongly recommend complying with it in lesson four of our video course. But then in the US, we have a different standard, the ASTM standard, which lays out similar criteria for compostability, but there are differences between the two. And the ASTM standard is now being revised to be more in line with the European standard and also to sync better with the reality on the ground for compost site operators as well. Hilary, you're in the US and you're familiar with this. Uh, maybe you can give us more information on what's happening with the changes. Right. Yeah. So currently... The, the guideline is the lab testing. So there are no field testing protocol, but to your point earlier, the ASTM is working to revise the disintegration test method with now two time and temperature profiles that are hopefully going to better replicate the actual field composting conditions of the products um, that they're exposed to. Because the reality is that 
um, the composting process is a very unique, is a very varied process. Mm. It's, you know, it's very diverse across the United States and all the compost facilities that are accepting materials. So in order to hopefully reflect that and also, um, you know, address any operational impacts of these products on commercial compost facilities, the STM is working to revise that to um, reflect better the commercial composting facility situation. So I'm not on that working group, but many of the members who are also on the U.S. Composting Council Task Force on Compostable Plastics are represented in that ASTM working group. And we've worked with several, four, at least four compost facilities who represent more of an open windrow, longer, longer process with lower temperatures. And then the second time and temperature profile is a shorter process with higher temperatures. So those are hoping to replicate better at like an arid static pile and an open windrow composting process, and then um, apply those eventually to the STM standard to um, give guidelines for which products will work in which facilities. Okay, so at the moment, the standards for testing protocols aren't really in line with what composters are experiencing on the ground? Well, currently, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions about that. Um, that's what the task force, our U.S. Composting Council task force, hoping to, to reconcile and harmonize the lab with the field experience, um, as it sounds like the Italians um, are doing as well, given their extensive distribution of, of some compostable plastic products. So we are also addressing that concern by reworking the ASTM method, but other composters have, have had different experiences. So some composters see different products possibly, you know, remaining after their process and some don't. So it's really anecdotal right now. And there's only several composters who are testing products individually in their processes. And um, apart from the field testing aspect, are there any other differences between standards worth mentioning? And are they being revised as well? Or Well, this is a good confrontation. But as far as I remember, one main difference between the European standard and the ASTM standard is uh, the request on uh, biodegradability. If I remember well, the European standard requests a biodegradation, the conversion of organic matter to CO2 of 90% in about 90 days. While, if I'm not wrong, the ASTM standard has a lower requirement of about 60%. Uh, maybe Hillary can confirm or, or correct me on that. Right. And, you know, I'm more familiar with a field testing situation. Um, and I, that one is not, that actually portion is not being revised. But I know that the time frame is 180 days and it does have less stringent save protocol for the resulting material that can be remaining after the lab testing. Yeah. Right. Okay. And Hillary, you mentioned just now that there aren't any standard testing protocols in the US, but they do exist in Europe. So Marco, can you tell us what testing protocols are out there at the moment and how effective they are? Well, basically, you know, there are uh, three main protocols for testing and assessing the compostability in Europe, all refer to the European standard, obviously. Uh, the first one is the WinSOT standard. It's probably the, the most well-known one. It's the first one who started. Then we have the German DIN standard or DIN standard for the German speaking. And the third standard is the one which was uh, created in Italy. And it's the compostable sick. CHIC standards. CHIC is the Italian Composting and Biogas Association 
Uh, obviously, they have to satisfy the same criteria at the EU level, but there are some differences in, in the testing. For example, biodegradability and disintegration is tested by the Italian standard on a full-scale plant. So we are running our test in existing composting plants, while other standards normally rely on lab testing, so on pilot-scale plants. This was one of our decisions to be sure that the material effectively biodegradates and disintegrates when we are confronted with uh, industrial plants. Okay, so they are quite effective. And there's no call to make any revisions on them or anything? Well, actually, our tests uh, are strict enough, so we are not demanding for stricter tests. Uh, actually, we normally we, we verify that biodegradation, so 90% biodegradation happens in about 90 days, which is a time frame which is complying also with the standards we have in Italy to getting a mature compost in an industrial plant, obviously. We are talking about industrial plants, not about home or community composting. Yes, of course. And can you tell me then what you hear from compost site operators um, in relation to standards or any other issues they might be having in this area? And what's been their experience? Um, well, regarding the situation in Italy, definitely, or in those countries, we have to make first a distinction. Uh, most common compostable plastic to be found in Europe are biobags, so bags used on purpose for separate collection of bio-waste and especially for food waste. Uh, this is a, a long-lasting tradition now. It has about 20 years, more or less. The first biobags uh, made of compostable plastics were put on the market in the mid-90s, I would say. And um, so this is one kind of item. And then we have other compostable items. In any case, in countries like Italy or Spain or UK, where this kind of bioplastic is very well known, compostable plastic do not pose any problem to uh, the industrial plants. What happens and what the complaints are is that, first of all, consumers sometimes misuse traditional plastics or so-called biodegradable plastics, and so they use them incorrectly for separating and delivering bio-waste. The other point is there are some fake bioplastics on the markets, and these are putting some uh, problems. Even though normally where uh, separate collection is done on the curbside or door-to-door, these kind of effects are... Uh, of minor problems because the total amount of non-compostables which reach a composting plant are well below 5% in weight. It might be different if we have rigid compostable plastics. So rigid packaging, in that case, some composting facilities need somehow to restructure their process chain since they, are, they have been planned for treating bio-waste and suddenly some other kind of waste items arrive. So maybe they need some further shredding or sorting and so on. Okay, so there's a difference then between the two and what you need. And contamination then, you were saying, of the stream is a big complaint, which leads into my next question about the on-site issues that composters are experiencing with compostable plastics. Um, if one of the biggest issues is non-compostable plastics are entering the stream, I'm sure this makes it very difficult to identify and sort compostable plastics from the other type of plastics at the site. 
Yes, it is challenging also because it's anyway challenging to sort out a bag at a composting plant. There is actually, in my opinion, and I would like to know what Hillary thinks about, another player which is important. Well, the first player is the waste producer, so the consumer, the one who is doing separate collection. But the second player in this chain is the collection service. I mean, once uh, the collection crews and collection companies are somehow advised or bound to the fact that they have to guarantee the highest quality of the bioways they collect, uh, also these people can help enormously in sorting out critical spots in cities and neighborhoods. Uh, and especially door-to-door -door collection helps on this, or curbside collection, because the collection crew has the possibility not to empty a bin where uncorrect bags have been used for source-separating organics. Yeah, I agree. It's similar in the United States, or that that is definitely an opportunity. Some of the concerns are around you know, the fact that we have often automated curbside collection, so the drivers are not even flipping the lids or able to monitor the material in the containers. Um, yeah. But there is practice among all the material streams, so recycling and composting, you know, where there are sort of separated services to leave messages or communicate to the customer that it is a priority to source separate appropriately. And um, so many generators or, or uh, haulers in this case who are collecting the material will give that feedback back to their customers. I've heard from composters that we've interviewed about some of these issues that, you know, where they have integration, where often the composters, sometimes the hauler, have relationships with their consumers and can give them guidance on which even products to buy to help keep a clean stream. But then there's other communities where they're accepting from many different haulers and they just don't have the capacity to give that kind of feedback. So they're dealing with, I think, a lot of times higher contamination. But that's definitely definitely an opportunity to address you know, all sorts of contamination that composters are dealing with now processing. Mm -hmm. Excellent points. And of course, Marco, you mentioned the consumer's role in sorting plastics, but this can be tricky when there is so much confusion over what's compostable and what's not. So how can we ensure that the different types of plastics are easily identifiable for consumers as well? Well, we have a lot of experience in that in Italy and in other European countries. There has to be done a lot of advertising and information activities to be sure that consumers can distinguish correctly compostable plastic from non-compostable ones. And uh, the existence of uh, certification labels helps enormously in that way. So normally what uh, the Italian Composting Association and also the Italian law says is we strongly advise consumers to look for the certification label uh, one of the three main ones existing in Europe. So to look that these certification labels are to be found on bioplastic and especially on shoppers made of bioplastics. So according to our experience and common understanding, also exchanging views with other European composting associations, that labels can help consumers enormously to identify the correct bags. Very good. And um, Hilary, I pose the same question to you. I presume there has been problems with people knowing what's compostable and what's not in the US as well. Yes, there is definitely there are definitely concerns, although the BPI logo is, is gaining recognition and it was recently revised to even include 
some more specifics about what it means to be compostable, including some more caveats about check with your local agency or waste management provider to determine whether they accept that material, because it really is a regional issue right now. And the best information is given to consumers by their local municipality or their local um, composter. Um, There's still concern. There's, there's still confusion. And one of the opportunities is BPI has changed their logo and it's being incorporated into the new printing of some of the products. And one of the working groups on the U.S. Composting Council recently helped revise a labeling standard that Many of the stakeholders who are manufacturers have all agreed to try and incorporate into their product distribution and labeling. So that includes things like labeling both the packaging and the product as clearly as possible with green or blue labeling and the word compostable. Again, reiterating, check with your local composting facility for further information about whether they accept them or not. Right. And just to clarify for our audience, the BPI is the Biodegradable Products Institute, which is one of the entities in the US that regulates the use of the word compostable and maintains the best labelling programme for compostable plastics in North America. Um, And Hilary, you've been working on a project in San Jose, developing a field testing protocol with the composters there. And you interviewed 15 different facilities who were testing these plastics. Um, From those interviews, maybe can you share with us some of the issues that they've had? Well, I'd say the the most common issue is just contamination in general. So when we talk about compostable plastics, I think it's important to, to address the fact that composters are being asked to accept a larger variety and more organic material, which is great because we're diverting more of it from landfill. But in that case, there's still the need to continue education and address contamination issues of conventional plastic film and especially glass that affects the end product. Okay, so again, it just seems to be contamination from other plastics and from glass as well are the main issues. Uh, Marco, is this the same for composters in Europe? Yeah, it is. It is. Again, depends very much on where they receive the waste from. Obviously, the most risky thing is to receive uh, non-compostable plastics and to get them into uh, a composting plant, especially because we have areas where composting plants do not have any sorting devices before mixing the bio-waste together with structuring material, because they expect to receive a very clean bio-waste. So in that case, they might be in trouble. But that's why most composting associations in Europe are regularly doing sorting analysis on the bio-waste, quality checks on the compost, so that they have an overview of what's getting on. The Chick, the Italian Composting Association, is running about five to 600 sorting analyses every year and about uh, 250 to 300 compost analyses every year on the different composting plants located in Italy so that we know exactly what's going around. We Actually, we can trace the type of different bags which are delivered into a single composting plant. We know if they are compostable, if they are shopping bags, if they have been delivered by the municipality or not. So it's a very um, robust monitoring and serving scheme that is running since 2004-2006. Uh, That's a very good system. And then I want to ask for composters who want to understand the possible operational costs of accepting compostable plastics. uh, Marco, you already touched on this with hard plastics and what you might need to change in order to accept them. But in general, do composting sites need to alter their process or management practices in order to accommodate these plastics in any drastic way? 
uh, if we're talking about bags, no. If we're talking about more sophisticated compostable plastic items, like some rigid packaging, it might be necessary to have a shredding before. And again, here it depends very much on what kind of composting plants we're dealing with. Many composting sites in Italy, which accept food waste on one line and garden waste on the other one, uh, do not shred the food waste. Uh, they just mix it up with the starching materials, the garden waste. In other countries, if we move to UK or other experiences where there is a mixed collection of food and garden waste, this material is normally shredded as a standard procedure. So the bags are opened or also rigid uh, packaging are likely to be shredded already. So it's very, it's very plant-specific, this, this answer. And obviously, keep in mind that, at least in our experience, composting plants have been designed to treat bio-waste, so food and garden waste. And so everything which is different, like packaging, the plant must adapt to this condition. All right, so that's important to be aware of. And Hilary, perhaps you have something to add here, because I'm sure in the US you've had more experience with rigid plastics, like serviceware and that sort of thing. Do you have some experience with that? Because I think we mentioned earlier that there's fewer compostable plastic shopping bags, but it's also, to Marco's point, a very um, regional or composter-based decision. There's a couple situations I can point out. For example, some of the composters, for example, I work with, one of them is actually accepting mixed solid waste. They sort a preliminary on the front end for some recyclable and um, you know hazardous material, and then compost the process for 12 to 14 weeks and sort on the back end, um, removing any residual and landfilling it and sorting um, for producing a compost product. Yeah. That means that they're not concerned about separating rigid compostable plastics from non-rigid compostable plastics because they're composting everything. Sorry, Hilary, but in that case, if I understood correctly, we are talking about accepting mixed municipal solid waste. It, at least in Europe, it wouldn't be allowed to call it compost when it comes out since we need to produce compost starting from source-separated organic, so separated at source, at the household, at the restaurant, at the canteen. Right. And so then another example of compost facilities that are accepting source-separated organics and some other compostable products that meet BPI standard and are labeled for compostability, they are most able to identify compostable plastic bags that are green and labeled with BPI, and also some of the PLA cups with the green stripe per the USDC labeling guidelines that actually the, one of the working groups helped develop. Those are most able to identify. And then um, to your point, the rigid plastics are sometimes harder to label or code. So they will often do their best to sort those out in the field when they accept them. And then at the end, they screen them, obviously. And some of the overs are often reintroduced as Marco mentioned, is a similar process in Italy and, and the rest of Europe. Some facilities have too much of an issue with contamination so that the conventional plastics will remain in the overs, in which case they have to landfill that material and the compostable plastics that might be resulting, you know, especially some of the ridges and cutlery, things like that, um, those won't be given the chance to further decompose. So that's one of the opportunities, I think, further with labeling and getting more control over the marketplace of these products so that those products can be more consistently composted 
and identify it as a composting facility. That's an excellent point. Um, but unfortunately, we're running out of time. So for my last question, I'd like to ask you both, is there anything you'd like to see change or to see happen now with compostable plastics or how they're regulated? Any pressing issues that might have your attention? Uh, Marco, do you want to go first? Well, I personally uh, would like to ban the use of the words uh, biodegradable for those kind of items which are not compostable. We probably need a clear definition, I would say at least continent-wide, not worldwide, it would be too much. But uh, it's the question where we started from, what does biodegradable mean? So it creates sometimes so much greenwashing that for the composting sector, which is somehow the backbone of the recycling scheme in many countries, since it represents the largest amount of municipal solid waste. So somehow there must be some more stringent request of those items which can call themselves biodegradable. Otherwise, confusion will still be quite strong between consumers. Mm-hmm. And um, Hilary? say amen that even California, where we have those labeling standards, it's very difficult to enforce. So more capacity you know, on a, I think maybe a national level is more appropriate rather than statewide to educate consumers around the difference between biodegradable and compostable and enforce legislation to basically level the marketplace and make it possible for compostable plastics to be given the same opportunity and basically level the marketplace so that some of the greenwashing can't further contaminate our composting process and confuse people. Great stuff and very good points. We definitely agree. Um, Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've covered a lot of ground and it was a very interesting discussion. And for our listeners, be sure to take a look at lesson four of our online course for more information on the use of compostable plastics in your collection program. It's a really great resource for the best practices in this area. Um, So Hilary and Marco, thanks to you both for coming on the show today. It was a great pleasure. Great. Thank you so much. All right. That was Marco Ricci and Hilary Neer for The Organic Stream. As always, if you have any questions or comments, you can leave them on our website, compostory.org, or send us a tweet. Our Twitter handle is compostoryorg. That's all for this week. Join us again in a couple of weeks' time for the next exciting episode.